This is the Learning Curve Podcast, and I'm Pastor Scott Rambo. Welcome to the classroom. Let's dive into the Word of God and see what He has to say to us today. Good morning, everybody. This morning, we're going to go over a summarization of Matthew's chapter 1 through 4. And then next Sunday, Lord willing, everything works out right, we'll begin with the Sermon on the Mount. So once we start that, we know that we've got Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the longest continuous sermon that the Lord ever preached in the Word of God. And um, I, I think we're going to find as we go through it that if you could live out the Sermon on the Mount, you can go to heaven. Um, and luckily, as we were having a conversation this morning... We don't even have to live out the Sermon on the Mount perfectly, and by grace we can still go to heaven because it's an impossibility to live it out. And once we go through it, this is the great thing about the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody in here is going to get their feelings hurt somewhere along the way. And I love that about the Word of God. I really do. I've never been divorced, so that's not really going to bother me. But I have cheated on my wife with my eyes. That bothers me. And now I have to stay away from that sin, right? Christ takes what was and says, hey, this is what is. At one time, it was, it was physical. Now it's spiritual. Everything is flipped. You still can't do the physical. And just because you do it in the spirit, in the flesh the wrong way, doesn't mean you can go do it in that because it's, it's, it, that's sin on top of sin. Right? So, but we need, to, we need to prepare. Please pray the next week and prepare yourself. Start reading it. You know, read it because it's going to be a slow thing as we go through it. It took us a whole year to go through the last book we were in. So, you know, Ephesians was, it took us a solid year to get through it. So this one's going to take a while. So beginning, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 1, if you have your guide, Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 17, we talked about the genealogy of a king. And I'm just going to point out some, because we don't have time to do everything like we've done for all since January, but I'm going to point out some of the things that are, I found most important as I was studying. There were 14 kings in Christ's lineage. There were 10 that were good, 8 were evil, and 1 was very evil. That's in the lineage of our Savior. Amazingly, there was one deceitful pagan Canaanite woman who worshipped Baal. There was also a Canaanite prostitute who worshipped Baal. There was also a heathen Moabite who worshipped Shamosh. These three women are in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That doesn't make any sense. He was a king. He was royalty. He was sinless. Yes. Thank God he was. He was despite all of that. How do we know that there's mercy and grace? How do we know we can be saved? That should be like the most ultimate assurance. We went through and talked about Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Uh, We went through all the, the Moabites and the Canaanites and how God destroyed peoples. But although he did all of those things, His promise to his son before the foundations of the earth was that he would have a bride and he will have a bride. And you and I are that bride. How can that not? I'm not saying we should be flipping and turning flips or whatever, but that's an exciting revelation. Yeah, if if nobody, if you've never understood that fully, understand that right now. You are the bride of Christ. Whether you go by the grave or you go by the rapture, you, believer today, are the bride of Christ. And all of what we're going to talk about was for you. Everything that we, we talk about here was for you. Beginning in Matthew 1, 18 through 25, we talk about the conception and the birth of our Savior. 
Um, this was just, of all the things that came from that, because we've learned these things all our life, right? About the virgin birth and the conception and all these things. This is what struck me as the most important things that I found in that. Um, in verse 18, to, to explain verse 18 and break it down, it was by the Holy Spirit. We know that, right? Isaiah 7 and 14, that was a prophecy that was fulfilled, right? That it would be divinely by the Holy Spirit that the seed would be planted in a virgin. The Holy Ghost sanctified the virgin womb to receive the spiritual seed. She was, we would say she was upright, just as Job was, right? There was a reason that, she, that Mary was chosen. But Mary was still born into sin because she was in the lineage of Adam. And I never ever thought about it that way. I never understood that. The fact that the Holy Ghost sanctified her was he created a barrier of holiness between Christ and original sin in her womb. Her womb was inhabited by the Holy Ghost of God. God was in her womb, guys. I mean, let's think back to his cousin, John the Baptist. He leapt in his mother's womb, and it says that she was filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost just as John was. John was filled with it from the womb. Jesus Christ was the Holy Ghost. He was God. He was... There, there had to be a barrier created between him and his mother because they're going to share the same blood, right? There was a barrier. You want to call it a Holy Ghost filter, whatever you want to call it. God, through the Holy Ghost, sanctified her womb so that Jesus Christ would never come in contact with sin, even the sin in her life. And, that doesn't, and that's why I say, think about this. How could perfection inhabit sinfulness? Me. Please think about that. How can the Spirit of God live in you? A wretched sinner to this day because he because Christ lived in his mother the same way. Let that let that reassure you. How is that possible for us? Because it was possible for our Savior. He has done what we could not do. And he lives inside me and you now. He said, I go to prepare a place, right? I'm, I pray the Father, the Father will send another. That that another that came and actually sanctified the womb that he would be in. That's the same thing we have today. That's where our hope is. Jesus Christ was not shaped in iniquity, nor was he born into sin. And we hear what David says. Y'all, every one of us was shaped in iniquity. We were born into sin, but Christ wasn't. How is that possible? By the sanctification of the womb of his mother, by the Spirit of God. That barrier that was placed there. That, to me, that's just an amazing thing. Because her blood did not taint him. Her sin in her life did not taint our Savior. He was perfect. He was holy. Guess what? You don't taint what's inside of you by being sinful. You're in a process of sanctification. We are in a process of sanctification. God is changing us bit by bit by bit. Just stay in that process, please. Try not to quench the spirit of God. Whenever you realize, when you want to act out like we were talking this morning, I want to. I'm angry right now at times. I have, I'm grieving and there's things I want to say, but I know by the spirit that's in me that it would be more grievous for me to say those things because immediately... I'm going to have that burden placed on me of sin. So it's easier for me to repress that and through the Spirit of God allow the Spirit to deal with my flesh. I am dealing with a lot of flesh right now. I'm in, I'm in a process of grief, and I've never been in this type of grief. Well, And I think about my Savior who, was, who knew from the time he was cognizant, like he could think for the first time. He knew that he was going to die for us. That was not left outside of his mind. Everything he did, all the things he did his whole life, he did those with the full knowledge that he would bear the full wrath of his Father. 
And listen, we don't understand that yet, but Jesus Christ knew what the wrath of the Father was. We don't know what that is. It scares me to think about it, and I still don't know the full wrath of him. But he did that his whole life as he walked amongst men. I think that until the Lord works this process out in me, at least if I live another 50 years, that for the next 50 years I can allow the Spirit to help me through this grief process. Because my Savior did it and never sinned. No guile was found in his mouth. Man, it, you see, and that makes this just a little bit harder because I have the knowledge and the understanding. So I can't just act out like I would feel like I want to. I can't just fall out sideways because we have a calling on our life and there's something that we're being prepared to do. But God sustains us through that. Same way he did his son that whole time. There was only one that ever pleased the Father, and that was Jesus Christ. So we know that <clears throat> I love the fact that the barrier was there. To me, that's just the most amazing part of all that I studied through the first four chapters. I never, ever saw that. I never saw that. Matthew 2, 1 through 14 talks about the adoration of Jesus. You know, this is the time in Jesus' life where he's, he's adored. Come let us adore him, Christ the King. Important things to come from that. Gold. When they brought him that, the ancient church also understood the gifts to symbolize aspects of Christ's life and his ministry the work that he would do. The gold is mentioned before suggests his royalty as a king of the Jews and Lord of Lords. In the frankincense, they saw his divinity as it was used in the temple for worship. The myrrh represented his humanity and that to the fullest extent because myrrh suggests death and burial. Thus the gifts came to show Jesus as king, God, and man. So you see him in, I mean, there's three persons to everything. There's three things. We have the Trinity. But those three things, royalty, divinity, humanity, we see him as the King of King and Lord of Lords, we see Him as God in the flesh. And we see Him as a man. Because He was, they say fully God, fully man, but I, I like R.C. He says it different. How does he say it, brother? Truly God and truly man. Not, not fully and fully because that don't make any sense. No, He was truly God and He was truly man. That's the best explanation of who Christ was I've ever heard. Because fully, when you say, well, fully and holy, that, this, this is fully and holy. I can't have two parts to it. No, no, he was truly God, and he was truly man at the same time. That's amazing, very amazing. We talked about something else that was amazing was the, the shepherds that came and, and those who came to bring him the gifts, where they came from. We traced it all the way back to Daniel. Daniel, whenever he was, whenever the, the, he was taken into captivity, those men who said we saw the star in the east, and we followed it, the, the region that they came from, there's no reason, they, there was no Christianity there. There's no reason those men should have known who he was. How did men of the Orient know? Because when Daniel was there, and they saw what happened, and they weren't burned in the furnace, and the, the, the lions didn't eat them, and he said, we will worship Daniel's God. They knew who Daniel's God was. Why? Because God preordained before time to bring them into exile so that these men, thousands of years later, could come and worship a king that they knew, shouldn't have known anything about. Guess what he did for us, didn't he? He, he foreordained that, that there were those of, of the nation that would, Israel, that would reject God so that you and I could have that same promise, that now we have the ability to receive the Lord. And that, to me, that's amazing. That's what people who don't believe that this is real, that there's no such thing as happenstance. <coughs> There's no such thing as luck. There's, it's God's providence. Every single thing. 
So even when you find yourself in the worst part of your life or the best part of your life, that was still God both ways. He's working something out in each and every one of us right this moment, whether we're in a high point of our life or a low point. Embrace that. That sounds so stupid. It makes no sense to a normal person. But I'm in the middle of great suffering right now. Embrace it. Because God is doing a work in you. And if he's not doing it for you, then he's doing it for the next person that you're going to help. God has, exactly, God has worked things out in me days before my brothers called me crying. And God's already worked that out. And I've already worked through that. And I'm able to process it already and I can help him through it. That's a gift of God. We're not both sitting there in a place of hopelessness and one of us can help the other. That's still a God moment. You've got to be able to see that in, in the worst times of your life. We talked for an hour this morning. I needed that. And, and that's the reality that comes out of this. You, you have to understand that there's... He, what does Romans 8 and 28 say? He, he works all things to, for the good of those who are called according to His purpose. Those who love Him. Do you love Him this morning? Are you called? Do you feel like you're walking in His purpose? He cares. That's, that's an amazing thing. He's working this to the good. What does that mean? For some, it may mean salvation. I pray it does. What is a life worth? Well, to me, that life was worth a lot. But the Word of God says that there's more rejoicing in heaven over one who's saved than one who dies and, and goes to a terrible place. There was great rejoicing when my father made it to heaven. And anyone that got saved because of that, not that it has nothing to do with him. That's the great part. That's preordained by God. Whatever good comes from that, that's the good that the Word is talking about. Those things that we're working out in ourselves. I never understood what it was to have a loss, but now I even apologize to several people for not understanding the level of their grief. You can't know until you know. You know? God cares for it so much. You think on this. Your dad is still accruing rewards yes. that will be handed to him in the, in the last day mm -hmm. because of his legacy, <coughs> his prayer, of the things that he's done. Anything that's done to build the kingdom, even with him gone, that's still counted to him as righteousness. Mm -hmm. That's still, he's going to gain reward. He's not yeah. even here anymore. Yeah. And it, that grace is still paying in dividends. That's amazing. That's the God we serve. Yes. It doesn't end in death because we, we don't die. We, I, I am a reward of my grandmother. She, she left in 05. <laughs> I wasn't saved until two or three years later. Mm -hmm. But I'm a reward for her. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be a jewel in her crown. You want to put yeah, like no. Today, Lord, but seriously. No, no, you're right. She, she didn't see it come to fruition, but guess what? She's going to know. That's right. God is faithful. Oh, yeah. She's going to know. I, there's no other way to put it. In, in Matthew 2, 13 through 23, we, just, we see divine instruction and fulfilled prophecies. Um, God instructs and, prophesies and prophecies are fulfilled. God often answers prayers and gives confirmation of his truths only to immediately lead you into the next season of trials for his sake. <laughs> yeah, let me explain something to you. When you read these things, he doesn't say that he does it for your sake. He literally says in the word of God, I do these things for my sake. Why? So glory can be brought to his name. How is glory brought to his name? This morning it is. In the midst of great suffering, you still fulfill the calling on your life. You still push through. You still love. You still have hope. You still you see the good in those things. He's being glorified this morning just through the way that you deal with the things that you're going through. It could be anything. 
whatever you're going through, the very fact that you're here and that you can see God in it, that brings glory to Him. Victory is often short-lived in this life, but eternal bliss awaits those who persevere. God sends word to Joseph just as He did to the Magi. And then we have verses of confirmation. He tells him to flee, go here. But you notice that Joseph always did what the Lord told him when he spoke to him. But so did Jesus Christ. And uh, ideally, so do we. But we have a lot harder time doing those things. You know, um, sometimes when the Spirit tells you to do something, that's something we have to learn by discernment. Yesterday, whenever I was going, I left from, from bringing the stuff to the crawfish bowl. <coughs> And I was going down the expressway, and this sounds stupid, but something told me to get off at Edgewood, and I didn't listen. I didn't know that the next exit was, you can't get off of the expressway at Kingsville, and I needed to go to Lowe's. And I said, stupid, stupid, stupid. And I went all the way to Tioga, come back around and went, and I'm like, if I'd have listened to it, you think, well, God won't do that. Yes, he does. He cares that much. There's no reason that I should have thought. Something just said, you, those other two vehicles are getting off. Get off. And I didn't. I didn't heed. But now I know when I hear that, I feel that again. I should have done it. Even if the other one was open, I still would have got to the same place, right? Well, that's really, you say the God of, the sovereign God of all the universe cares about five minutes of travel? Yeah, he really does. He does. Mom tells, testifies of the same thing. She was driving down 107 one day, and and the Lord spoke to her, slow down. We all speed. You know, we've we got to get somewhere. And uh, and she didn't. And then again, it, you know, pricked in her heart. Slow down. Well, she got around the next curve, and there was a cop. Pulled her over. She got a ticket. She even told the cop. The, the guy was like, do you know why you were speeding? And she's like, yeah, because I didn't listen to the Lord. <laughs> you know, it's, but it was hard back then. We didn't have they didn't have money to pay a ticket, but they did. Yeah. They didn't heed the, but you know what happened next time? She heeded. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I would hope that each time it gets yeah. easier for us. It should get easier <laughs> as long as you're not being a knucklehead. But we all have a tendency to do that too. Matthew 3, 1 through 10, we see preparing the way John the Baptist as a prophet. And if you haven't studied it and you go through it, just look at it. Um. I'm going to read just a little bit of this. The single rough garment of skin worn by John placed him in the category of a prophet of the Old Testament. That's the first piece. That literally did, because if you read what, he's re what he wore, you go back and study them, this is what they wore. John was from a priestly lineage that can be traced back to 1 Chronicles 24.10 when his ancestor Abijah was chosen as the eighth lot when they cast lots. When they came into the new land and they cast lots, the eighth lot fell on this people. That's his lineage. He was of the lineage of the priest. That's important. He had to be. He was preparing the way for royalty. John did not have to live out in the wilderness a day's journey from civilization. He was driven to do that. The arrival of an old prophetic type after hundreds of years drew people from all walks of life to the desert. He was not just, it wasn't like he just left from here and walked across the road. He was a day's journey from the town, like the town that they would consider town. So these people that were going to the wilderness, they weren't just going just a little ways. They were, they were walking from there, walking all the way into the reserve. They were walking to Muddy Bay, to the culverts. They were walking from Big Island Loop all the way to the Muddy Bay culverts to hear this guy at Muddy Bay teaching about repentance, 
<clears throat> you get where I'm coming from. I'm being serious. I mean, this is what this would be like. And he's baptizing people. That's Think about that thought process whenever you're trying to understand. It wasn't just like they hopped on a camel or a, a donkey or they got in their car and drove there. They walked there because this is the desert. They walked all that way to hear about this man. That To me, that's an amazing thing. His garments made him a prophet. But not only that, but all the prophecies that were fulfilled. What's the last What's the last thing that we see in the Old Testament? The last prophecy of the Old Testament. Yeah. He's coming, prepared in the way. So the last thing that they hear, and then they've got the 600 years, all these years of silence. The first thing they see, 400, sorry, 400 years. Then you come back and you see, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. The last thing, because I'm going to tell you what, like the last thing that you say, they've taught us this with teaching. The first thing you say and the last thing you say seem to, to stick in someone's mind more than anything. Well, if the last thing that you hear is there's going to be one coming like Elias and one shows up and he's dressed the same way and he's that really got their attention because they knew the word of God. And they were like, oh, we got to go see what this is about because we've been waiting for hundreds of years. Like those who heard that prophecy in real time, they're all been been dead. You know what I'm saying? They have been dead four generations. You know, if you lived 80 years, four times five is 400. So five generations ago, let's say, if we even go by that, if we go by 40, it's even more. That's 10 generations. So all of this time has passed. And now those things that we've heard our great 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 grandpa talked about all these all this time. It's happening in the middle of the desert. We might not have to go check this out. So we as we study this, we try to put ourselves in the place of those individuals and be like, okay, in real time, this is amazing what's happening in this time. We see things if you're really paying attention and you read the Old Testament and the New too, and there's things that are happening now that are fulfillment of scripture. Some of the last things Jesus talked about, wars and rumors of wars and volcanoes and all these things. has that, But Brother Matt, that's been happening since. Yes, it has. But he says it's going to escalate in those final days. Global warming is global warming if that's what it truly is. But it's, it's God. It's things progressing. This is the way that it is. It's the way it's supposed to be. We can change things, but we can't change things like God can change things. We can't move the sun back. We can't take all these things away. God's business is what's going to happen. That's the one thing we need to get inside of our minds. That's one of the hardest things for a human being to understand. God's will will be done. Regardless of me, regardless of God's will will be done. I can either be a part of God's will or I cannot. But His will will be done. That's His promise. In, in Matthew 3, 11 through 17, we see the baptism of Jesus. Baptism of repentance and outward testimony that you recognize your sin and sorrow. And then we see that he talks about the, with the Holy Spirit and fire. God's Spirit, like a holy fire, enlightens and purifies so that believers can share more and more in His likeness. It's a refiner's fire. That's what the Word actually says. It's the dross is what they would say. I watched a show the other day where they were refining a metal. And there was, it was the largest kiln thing where they fire all this metal. And there's, they put tons and tons of it in at one time and melt it. And there's hundreds, almost thousands of pounds of impurities that come to the top. That's no good. They have to get rid of it. That goes into other things they use it for. But that's an amazing thing. 
They, they, this is a refiner's fire. I know that we know in other religions, they talk about this Holy, Holy Ghost and tongues of fire and all that day of Pentecost. I'm not taken away from anything. I'm not taken away from any of that. I leave, I leave it open for anything, but I do know this. That's not exactly what they're trying to say. It's a miscommunication. It's, I want my religion to be what it is. So I'm going to twist the word of God to say exactly what I want it to say. No, no, no. This fire is the spirit of God that's deposited in you at your regeneration when you are born again. Because <clears throat> we've had this conversation before. When were you saved? Were you saved whenever you accepted it or were you saved before? You were saved. How could you, how could you accept something that you had no knowledge of? I, I hate to tell you, but when you think that you accepted something, you, the regeneration had have, have happened. Because only, only when you're regenerated could you see yourself as wrong. It's not until you've been regenerated that you can see that what you were is not right. So in a regenerated state, you accept Christ as your Savior. That's why I'm not taken away from that, but that, that whole thing will... Yeah, you, you do. Yes. You do accept something. What you accept is the reality of this, this new life. Yes. You see the newness of life. You can see what you were, but you can see now clearly, whoa, that was... Ah, that's terrible. I can never go back to that. I really can't. Like, I, there's no way that I can be who I was. Will I sin? Will I fall into those things? Oh, most certainly. We're not taken away from that. God is grace. Thank the Lord. But I can't be who I was. That's an impossibility now because who I was is something I didn't even know I was. To me, that's the, that's the revelation that you get is I was wicked and evil and undone. And for the first time, you can say that truthfully and go, oh, wow, without the Lord, I, I would have been lost forever, yep. honestly forever. So in that moment, that fire that you have, you receive that. That fire is in you. It's refining you. It's a, that's, that's its purpose. It's the Holy Ghost. If you're uncomfortable with that word, use Holy Spirit. They're synonymous with one another. <laughs> I mean, but people get so freaked out because a denomination has taken the word Holy Ghost and they've just ran with it in a wrong direction. They're the same. They're synonymous with each other. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, they are working in the process of sanctification to make you more like Christ. That's the whole function. Otherwise, why would, why would Jesus have prayed the Father to send it to you? Oh, wait, to comfort me, to be there for me whenever I need it. God, do I need it now? And I feel it whenever I feel the pressure come on me and it, it takes literally takes my breath away. I feel pain right now, right here out my back that shouldn't be there. It's grief. I've never experienced this before. It is crazy. It is the craziest feeling I've ever felt. Because logically, I know that my daddy's fine. But my body, no matter how logical I want to be, my body is going through a process that I can't change. I literally can't change it. And I think about my Savior grieving. I think about Paul when he says, I would, I would forsake, I would give up my salvation if I knew the nation of Israel could be saved. He said, I, every day I'm in continual sorrow daily. I'm heavy with grief. The same way that we see in the Psalms. I hurt in my bones, it says, because my grief is so heavy. I couldn't understand that. I do now. It's, and you can't stop it because you know what? It's part of the process that God has us in. He is working a work in me right now. And I don't like it. <laughs> but I know for a fact that when I come out the other end, I'm going to be better for it. To me, if he leaves you alone, if he would leave you alone, or if you weren't going through it, it's almost like he's not. 
That's exactly right. To me, like Denise was reading to me last night where these people were writing on their their experience with grief after someone had died. And as she's reading it to me, I'm going, oh, Lord, like these people took months off of work or months off of work or they couldn't get out of bed or they couldn't do anything. I'm like, well, that's because God's sustaining me in the midst of it, even whenever it gets hard and it gets heavy, just as it had to be for our Savior. Guys, it had to be. In those moments, he, he was always in communication with the Father. He never severed that. So in the midst of this, don't sever that connection with the Lord. Don't withdraw. Don't pull back. Don't not talk. Which is amazing because you can feel it. That's why I say I can feel it spiritually and logically. But at the same time, I just sit there and I go, but I can't change the reality of this. And he's just like, no, you can't. But I'm but I have you like I have you just just rest in me and embrace it. It shows you how invested God is in our happiness. Like He really is. You take a physical relationship. My wife, when times got hard, I would just leave her. Yeah. When she hurt, I would just go fishing or something, you know. Yeah. She'll get over it. Well, no, I care about her. So when she hurt, I try everything I can to, to make it right, you know. Yeah. With with the starting with me first. Hey, well, did I do something? Yeah, probably. Yeah, but, but probably. Well, that's not like it is with God, but God cares because if He didn't, He would just leave us alone when times got hard. Like, that. yeah. Well, when you get over it, you come back to me. Yeah. Right. Well, no, He's you're closer to God now than you was two weeks ago. Oh yeah. Because you have to be. Yeah, you have to draw an eye. But that's the thing is that He's He is there. Yeah. And He's already prepared situations like this and, and, and ways out and ways in. Yeah. And we just get to embrace it. Yeah. And he, he walks through with it. Yeah. It's an amazing experience. He truly, he truly does care. He is invested. Very, very much so. Does, even though in this life of grief, he does want us to truly be happy. Yeah. And that's what, that's, that's that work. Yeah. You're working towards happiness again. Yeah. Which is, he doesn't have to do that. But that's good. It is. It is. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Um, the temptation and the scripture. That's the, To me, that's one of the awesome parts. What do we see? We see that he's tempted by Satan, and he never uses anything but scripture. Like when, when, when Satan comes against you, the one thing that he knows it better than you do, Christian. Mm-hmm. Satan knows the word of God better than any of us. How do I know that? Because I've seen how he twists it in the life of believers. And I said in the life of believers. Because some people say there's only one denomination going to heaven. Well, you're ignorant of the word of God. That's not what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as we talked about this this morning, is one of the most comforting pieces of Scripture in the whole Word that says that even though, as long as my foundation is Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter if I build on it with, with gold and, and rubies and gems or hay or stubble or all that stuff that doesn't matter will be burned up. But my salvation is secure in Christ Jesus. Do I strive? Do I truly want to serve my God perfectly? I really do. Am I? No. I'm, I, I, my, what, my thoughts on baptism, my thoughts on salvation, my thoughts on whatever, it could be wrong. Because you know what? Because maybe I decided that day that I wouldn't read the Word of God and I would play on my phone or watch TV or I would do something instead of actually seeking to find that truth. 
Maybe that truth, that truth is there for all of us. It's there. But it's, do you decide that that's what you want? Do you really truly want that truth? And, but the greatest part about God is he knows what you can handle. Thank God. He knows the truth you can handle. And he says, you know what? Despite all the rest of that, my grace is sufficient. Do you truly love me? Do you serve me? Am I your God? Am I your Savior, your Lord? Yes. Then trust in me and trust that if I saved you, I can keep you that way. That's my thing is, as someone who believes that your salvation can just be ripped away from the one who holds it, who preordained it, who predestined it, who decided, who says, I called you, you did, you did not, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I chose you and I chose that you would remain and that your fruit would remain. And God says, I chose you as a bride for my son because my son's going to have a bride. And if I didn't choose, nobody would come to me. The word of God actually says that, doesn't it? It says none, none are righteous. None come to me, none. Why do you think you do that? Because of God. It has nothing to do with you. Don't be that way. There's nothing important and special about you except for the Jesus Christ that's in you. We're, we're just a vessel. Thank God we're a vessel. Just thank God that He's chosen you to be a vessel of righteousness for Him to work for Him. The very fact that He does that with this, that's an, that's, that should make people believe to start with. Matthew 4, 12-25, we see Jesus beginning His ministry. John's death, as we studied this, it was amazing. you got to go through all of the Gospels to find all this. I mean, we studied all Gospels at the same time to get the fullness. That's why it took us so long. But John's, uh, Jesus' ministry did not begin until John was imprisoned. If you go and you look at how it all worked out, for when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to save, to have her. Because he, it's really messed up. We're not going to go into that because it's a lot. But he was, he had his niece, basically. His niece, who had already been with one of her uncles, now she's with her other uncle. Really, really messed up deal. But um, it wasn't until that time in Mark 1 and 14. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee. That's when his ministry started. Not until John had been taken into custody. What's one of the last things we see John talking with two of his disciples? He said, I must decrease so that he must increase. And he has those two disciples leave and go with Jesus. But the amazing part is, and I thought about this quite a bit, I don't think John, he, he said what the Spirit of God told him to say. I must decrease because he must increase. The only way that Jesus could increase was for him to be in prison, be beheaded, and die. He didn't know that when he prophesied. That that was a prophecy, in my opinion. He prophesied his death then. He prophesied his going down because he had to. Little did he know that would lead to his death. But that's just the way that's the way that it worked out. Then we talked about Matthew 4, 18 through 22, the chronological calling of the disciples and, and how important that is to understanding the whole of it. We don't have time to go into all of it. But what's amazing is, is that we see Jesus go from Nazareth to Galilee to be baptized, then to driven to the wilderness, then back to Galilee, then from Galilee back to Nazareth and then from Nazareth back to Galilee. All of these changes in each one of these things, he was pushed in these ways by the Spirit of God, and he was obedient each time. What does that look like for you and I? I don't know. But be obedient. Take the Edgewood Drive exit off of the expressway the next time that you feel that unction. 
You get what I'm that, and that's what Jesus was doing. The Word of God says that He was driven to the wilderness. That doesn't mean that God made him go. That's not what he's saying is he in his spirit. He was driven because the Lord was directing his way and said, it's time to go now. It's time to prepare because you're about to be tempted. But the other thing we learned is he was tempted the whole time he was in the desert. Most people don't understand that. They think that the temptation of Satan came after the 40 days that he had fasted. No, it was happening simultaneously. He was vexed the whole time he was in the wilderness. Understand the place he was, the wilderness that he was in, it was very dangerous. Okay, There was all the terrible things that we read about in the Bible that killed people and such. They were all around him. It's not like he was in this cozy place and he was surrounded by wildlife and things that would kill him and sting him and bite him. And yet he found comfort because his father was ever with him. But he was being tormented all that time that he was out there. Um... Then we looked at, at his return to Nazareth and when he started preaching the gospel and then, then how he called his disciples. That was that, to me, that was a pretty amazing. And we'll, if you want to, we, the, it's, everything that I'm talking about is available online. You should really go back. If nothing else, honestly, if none of them, Matthew 4, 18 through 22, that one, if you can find it because the chronological calling of, the, of, of his disciples, that one amazed me. Because we learned things that we didn't even know were truths mm -hmm. about the healing of Peter's mother-in-law and all these things. And they knew Christ before Christ called them. They didn't just leave and forsake everything just because he was Jesus. Not that that couldn't happen, but that's not the reality of it. He had already met all of them. They had already talked before. He had already healed Peter's mother-in-law and then went back to Nazareth. And when he went back to Nazareth, that's where it said he tried to go to his own and his own wouldn't have him. So then he went back. It's just, it's an amazing thing. Matthew 4, 23 through 25, healing is prophesied. And we talked about this, not in length, but it, that's what it was about. Jesus healed all who came to him. That's a reality. Okay. We see that in the word. He healed those who would seek him out and place their faith in his ability to heal. John MacArthur quotes B.B. Warfield as saying this, It has been said that in effect he banished disease and death from Palestine for the three years of his ministry. But there is no single verse that foretells, there is no single verse that foretells this truth, but it is held as a biblical truth by many. There's nothing that says that. But we also know um, that not every single person was healed, was healed. It says those who came to him. Jesus didn't, every single person didn't ask for salvation. Because that's truly what it was. It was salvation. Like you and I. Not every single, every, every single person in this world has the ability to be saved, but not all will be. Every single person that was there could have went to Christ Jesus and been healed. He would have healed every single one of them. He didn't go there and just lift up his hands and say, all you be healed. God, that would be great, wouldn't it? Same way with the Father. His will is that all be saved. But those who don't come to him and believe on him will not. That's just a reality that we have to understand. And it, it's, it's a sad reality for those, those who don't make it. And then we ended with Matthew 5, 3 through 7, 27. We, this was called the foundational truths of the gospel. That was the last one. You, we really go back and listen to that one. Study that. If you don't have it, I'll run you a copy of it. In the following three chapters, Jesus will teach a continuous sermon that thoroughly reveals the expectations he has for those who will choose to follow him. That's a truth. The underlying truth is that, ex is that expressed throughout the living word. There is either blessing or curse 
as there is no middle ground. Those who follow his teachings will be blessed. They will stand up in the day of trial and they will inherit the kingdom of God. All others that do not follow his teaching, even those who attend services, are baptized and profess Jesus Christ as their Savior. Great will be their destruction in the great and terrible day of the Lord. All the church is not the church. All of Israel is not Israel. I mean, that's, that's the reality of this thing. In Romans, it says that all of Israel will be saved. That doesn't mean that every Israelite will be saved. It means those who truly are Israel. Not all of those who go to church, profess the name of Jesus, and are baptized will be saved. That's not a reality. Those who are truly His, those who truly believe on His name, they will be saved. Two foundations. After teaching the foundational truths of the gospel, Jesus gives a visual explanation as to what will happen in the last days for those who adhere to His teachings and those who do not. We are all building in a fallen world. Understand that, believer and sinner alike. We're all building in a fallen world. The unsaved are building their dwelling alongside the false believers and the true believers of Christ. The truth will be revealed in the last days when we will all receive our reward for that which we have built upon. Not what we have built, but what we have built upon. Uh, how, do you, how, is that, how is that a reality? And this is the end of it. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. It's not what we build, it's what we've built upon. Okay, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. We know this is Paul speaking. And another is building on it. Okay? But each person must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If your foundation is not Christ, nothing else matters. What, what foundation did Paul lay? Christ. He said, we, we come preaching Christ and Christ alone. That's it. No tricks, no fancy words, just Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. But if that fire is inside of you and it's purifying you, right? And the fire itself will test the quality of each one's work. Is work important? If you don't think so, go read James. Your work is important to the Lord. Did I say it was important to your salvation? That's not what I'm saying. To God, it is important. Show me your works without faith and I'll show you my faith without works. End of story. There should be no more conversation about that. If anyone's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. So any work that you have that's built on that, you will receive a reward. That reward is aside from your salvation, believer, because most people will say, well, that's your salvation. No, it's not. That's my reward that I receive. What is my reward? It says I'm going to cast my reward at his feet. That's my crown with all the jewels or whatever. That means nothing when I get in his presence. But how sad would it be to not have something to cast at his feet for what he's done for you? I think that's why one of those, another one of those reasons he wipes that last tear away. Because he's done all this for you for the first time ever. You have full knowledge of what he's done. And you don't have anything to give him. How sad of a day would that be? You would want to weep. Then finally, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. That's the loss of the reward, right? But he himself will be saved, yet only so as through fire. That's a promise that I love. That's about as much grace and mercy as you're ever going to find. Because what he's saying is, if, you're, if what's built on is me, and it's truly me, even though you do all whatever, I've got you. I know your heart. I know the truth. I know your heart is deceitfully wicked. 
but I also know that my spirit resides inside of you. And I know the turmoil that's inside of you and the fight that's going on between your flesh and your spirit. I, I see those things. I see whenever you sin that you're repentant. I see that you truly, in all honesty, although you're, you're wrong, I truly see that you believe that you're right. Everybody that's in a religion, that's why we don't have a religion here. We don't have a, a religion on our church because religion is what Jesus Christ came to destroy, literally. Denominationalism is, is of Satan. It is, and people don't like that. It, it upsets them because they need to belong to something. You belong to the body of Christ. That is all that should matter. Jesus came to do away with those things. Why? Because they're, in, they're unimportant. Because man's tradition and the law, that's not what this is about. The law is written on your heart if you're, if you're here, right? What should matter is, is the body of Christ and all of those that are lost and dying outside of it. We don't, we don't need a denomination. We need a, we need a bride. And that's who we need to be, each and every one of us individually. That's what draws men unto Christ, is the Jesus that's in us. We're peculiar. We're different. What, what does it say, First Peter? We, we are a royal priesthood. We're peculiar. We're a different people. They should wonder why you're the way you are. They really should. So if you would bow your heads. Father, we thank you again for your word, Lord. Thank you for the summarization this morning, God, that you're always faithful and you're always... You're always just, Lord. Thank you for the words that were given, God. I, I pray in Jesus' name that that through those words, Lord, that were given by the Spirit, God, that there was healing this morning, God, that there was understanding, that there was discernment of your word and the understanding of where we are in the process. Father, be with us as we go into the worship service, Lord. Remove all those things that would be a barrier between us and your word and let it not return void. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Learning Curve podcast brought to you by Abundant Grace Church here in DeVille, Louisiana. Uh, we invite you to look at our webpage. It is www.abundantgracechurchonline.com. Uh, there you can find all the different ways that you can uh, be in contact with us. Thank you. Thank you.